Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. He was just diagnosed with cancer. They just got into a giant argument. She just had to bury her very own son. Suffering. Suffering. It's, it's the most well-known human experience, I believe. And it is the thing that we just don't understand. Those who don't believe in God often do everything that they can to distance themselves from it. And those who believe in God oftentimes struggle with the questions of why God? Or how can it be God? We try to figure it out and we wrestle with it. That is, suffering. But God's people know. God's people know, or they ought to know, you ought to know this, that suffering comes to all people. Upright, even the most innocent among us in the world's eyes, suffering comes to all of us. But I want you to hear very clearly today that when we suffer from a Christian perspective, we do not suffer alone. We have a God who suffers with us. This is the whole truth of our Christian experience. This is the whole reason that Jesus came into this world. God took on flesh to bear our sin and to bear our suffering. He suffered in our place. Our God is not far away. Our God knows and understands what human suffering looks like. And I want you to hear that he is with you always, always. But suffering, as I said, comes to all people. It comes to all people. It comes to the upright, to those who, who think that they are just, to, to those who are innocent in the world's eyes. And sometimes even suffering comes more to those who seem to be innocent in the world's eyes than it does to those who would be said are evil in the world's eyes. The story of Job helps us to understand this reality. Now, if you don't know Job, let me tell you, that's how you pronounce his name, for one. It's not Job, all right? So we're not learning about the, the suffering that you have in your job. We are going to be learning about a guy named Job. If you've never opened up Job, it is the book that's located right before the Psalms in your Bible. So if you're looking for Job, just open up to the middle and you'll probably land in the Psalms and then go right before it and you'll get to Job. And over the next six weeks, as we get to know this man Job, we will see his heart, his honest heart, all of his heart as he wrestles through his human suffering. And we will watch as he wrestles with God, as he wrestles with his own wife, as he wrestles with three of his closest friends, as they try to figure out why this suffering has come to him. And through the story of Job, we will learn some real practical ideas of what to do, what not to do, what to say, and what not to say when we or our loved ones are faced with 
the reality of suffering. Today we're going to look at the beginning of this story. I just read for you all of chapter 1. We're going to take the the narrative all the way into chapter 2 today. And and as we do this, uh, let let me just say, and I'm going to say it a couple of times today because I want you to hear this. Uh, As we open up these pages of Job, we're going to wrestle through a lot of human emotions and, and human reality. And today we're just not going to be able to get to all of it. Uh, And so it's possible by the end of today, things may feel a little bit unresolved. And and I just say that to you as a word of warning so that you try to track with us over the next six weeks. All right, so if you're unable to be here on Sunday mornings over the next six weeks, all these sermons are made available online or our church app. I I encourage you to check that out over the next six weeks. The, The book of Job, the book of Job, it began with these words. Chapter 1, verse 1, I'll read it again. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. It's not that Job was sinless. He was not perfectly sinless, but he, he, he was blameless in many ways, and he turned away from evil. His desire was to live a good life, you could say, according to God's ways. Now, there's no reason to believe that Job is not a true story. There's nothing in the scriptures indicating that this is just merely a fable or an analogy. Uh, so, so I'm operating from the standpoint that Job is a real guy, just so you know, and that this really happened to a real guy in history. There's no reason to believe that it didn't. Job, here's what we learn about him. He had a wife and he had seven sons and three wives. And he was, he was a wealthy man. Uh, I don't know if you know how to count wealth in terms of animals, but let me just list them again. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And that's a, that's a descriptive piece that they're females, according to my research. Female donkeys were worth a lot of money because they could breed more donkeys. And he had many servants to take care of all these things. His kids, all 10 of them, would often get together for big feasts and they would celebrate and basically throw a big old party. Job was the kind of man, though, that... <laughs> After he witnessed his children having their big party, he would wake up early in the morning and offer burnt sacrifices on their behalf. Before, before all of the laws of Moses and the sacrificial system was established, oftentimes fathers in the family served the priestly role for their families. So that's why Job is doing these sacrifices on behalf of his children. So he's basically saying, I don't know, my kids probably... <laughs> did some not-so-good things when they were partying, and I'm going to offer some sacrifices on their behalf. This is the kind of man that he was. He desired to live an upright life, and he loved God, and he loved his kids. So we get this description of Job, and then in the story, we are transported into this vision of like a a heavenly staff meeting (laughs) between God and and what what this translation says are the sons of God which, you know, we, we kind of interpret as probably like angels, those who are assistants of God in the heavenly things. And so we're transported into this vision of a heavenly staff meeting, you could say. And, and the sons of God are all there. And one of those sons has the name Satan. Satan, that's how you pronounce it in Hebrew. You see it up on the screen and you're thinking, that's not how you pronounce it, you pronounce it Satan, right? Yeah, Satan 
is a Hebrew word that literally means the adversary or the, the accuser. So Satan, Satan, is there, and God speaks to, to Satan and says, where have you been? And he says, I've been roaming about on the, on, the, on the earth. And then we have, at least from my personal opinion, one of the most difficult passages in the book to come to grips with. Because God initiates this conversation where he says to Satan these words, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan didn't ask God who he could go deal with. God offered Job to Satan. I don't know about you, but I, I read this and from my human gut, I go, what? What, God? Why? What are you, what are you trying to do? Why would you do this to Job? What we're going to find out, and, 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 and we're going to unpack this week after week, and this is what I mean, so stay, stay with us, but what I'm going to repeat time and time again, and you'll hear me even say it a couple of times today, is this. One of the main morals of this story in the book of Job is that God operates in a way that is much bigger, much broader, far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. We humans like to think that we understand God and understand how he works. But if you think about what you know and what your limited human experience teaches you, even all of our collective human experience is so limited in comparison with the greatness of an eternal God. Wouldn't you say? And if you're not willing to confess that, we've got a difficult situation on our hands. But this is the premise. This is the premise. This is the theme that's going to keep popping up over and over again. But we get to watch Job, a real human, and his friends and his wife, real humans, wrestle with this reality of who is God? How is he operating? What is he doing? Where is he? Did I do anything to deserve my situation in life, whether it be a good situation or a bad? Did I do anything to get this? Did my actions affect what came my way? And we're going to keep opening up these questions. We will. The, the story will force us to keep opening these questions over the next six weeks. So just sit tight. But for now, I want to keep telling you this story as it plays out in chapters one and two. So God speaks to Satan, and, and God says to Satan these words, Have you considered Job? Satan responds to God with these words, essentially. And Satan says, I can't get near him. You've built a hedge around him. I, I can't get close to him. But then Satan tries to twist God's words. He tries to test God a little bit. And because he says to God this, God, don't you know that Job only worships you because you've blessed him? Because you've given him great wealth and a, and a wonderful family? Don't you know that's the only reason that he worships you? And so God says, okay, Satan, take away all of his possessions. Take away anything. Just don't touch him, and we'll watch and see what happens. In the story, then, we go back to the earth, and we watch as this story unfolds. And here's what happens. It's time for another party. 
It's time for another party at one of the son's houses. And long story short, a number of servants come to Job and they tell Job that all of his animals... All of his animals, all of his possessions have either been destroyed or taken away by his enemies. All of his servants have been destroyed. And to top it all off, a giant storm has come through, knocked down your son's house, and all of your children have been killed. And here we watch a father, a human father, a human father wrestle with this reality. He is obviously distraught, He does as what biblical Old Testament grieving says you do, where you rip your clothes, right? He tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped God. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was distraught. Obviously, you would be too. Yet he praised God in his distress. He praised God. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then finally it says these words. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, this is not saying that Job was was completely a sinless man. It's just saying Job just did dealt with it, and he still acknowledged who God was, and he still worshiped and praised God. He did not blame God for his suffering. If you were in Job's place, would you have blamed God? When tragedy strikes you, who's to blame? Who's to blame? When when difficult things come your way, who do you blame? Do you blame God Do you blame yourself? I feel like this is the way that our world works, doesn't it? This is what our human experience teaches us. If something bad happens, it's got to be somebody's fault. It has to be somebody's fault. Bad things cannot go unpunished. If something bad happens, somebody has to take the fall. And this is how, in human reason, this is how we determine on this earth whether something is just or whether it is fair. If you do something good, you get rewarded. If you do something bad, you get punished. This is how the world works, right? This is how we define justice and what justice looks like. But what we're going to see in Job is that's how Job and everybody else in this story also thinks about God. This is how they think God should operate. It only seems logical, right? If this is how things work on earth, it it should be how God works. If he's loving and just and fair, this seems to be how it should work. But what Job is going to learn in the end, and it's going to take us a couple of weeks to get there, but I'm going to give you a little hint. What Job is going to learn, what Job is going to learn is that's, that's not necessarily how God operates. And this is what we, too, are going to be forced to have to wrestle with, as you probably already have in your own life. But when God operates, he operates in a realm that is much more complicated and intricate than our simple understanding of what justice and fairness look like. But here at this point, when Job has lost everything, he doesn't blame God. That's plain and simple. He doesn't blame God. 
He's not really sure who to blame. He's not happy about his situation, but he doesn't blame God. But you can imagine now this character of Satan, that this really irks Satan. Because what does Satan want to do most? He wants to get the people of God to reject God. And so when Satan attacks Job and he can't get Job to accuse God of doing wrong, this gets at Satan. And so we're transported back to another heavenly staff meeting. And in this heavenly staff meeting, the same thing happens again, where God sees Satan and God says to Satan, where you've been? He says, I've been roaming around the earth. And God says to Satan, well, have you considered Job? You tried to attack him. You tried to destroy him. You tried to get me to let you destroy him. And look, he's still being faithful. He's still being faithful. And so at this point, at this point, uh, Satan responds with these words. He says, skin for skin. God, if you let me go and touch him, if you let me touch Job, I know that he will curse you. And God says, okay, go ahead and touch him. Afflict him. Just don't kill him. And so Satan afflicts Job with a head-to-toe skin disease of some sort. My family understands in some way what head-to-toe skin diseases look like. Some of you know that we've wrestled through uh, severe skin issues with two of our children. I'm not sure if this is what Job was facing, but if it was anything like what we've faced, it is excruciating. It even says that Job took a piece of broken pottery just to scrape the skin. I don't know if he was trying to make it go away or make it feel better. Either way, he was in incredible misery. And so his wife finally speaks. Job's got a wife, right? He's got a wife. And she speaks, her only line. She says this, curse God and die. Just reject God, Job. She's operating from that mentality of do something good, get rewarded, do something bad, get punished. And so Job, look at, you've already put yourself so far out of God's reach, you've got nothing left. The final straw is just curse God and he'll strike you down. What a nice lady, right? And so Job, as a very brave man who is being afflicted, says to her, you foolish woman, right? He's got, he does have nothing left to lose, right? You foolish woman, you foolish woman. This is what she, she had said to him. These were her words. Do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God, and die? But he says, you foolish woman. You foolish woman. You speak as a foolish woman. Don't you understand? If we believe in God, that he is all-powerful, don't you understand that that also means that all good things come from him? But that it, it also necessi- necessitates that all the bad things also have to be allowed by him for him to be ultimately fair and just. Again, it says that Job did not blame God. It says he didn't blame God. All of this, all of these things, all of this has happened. All of this has happened and Job does not blame God. Job's premise is If God is truly God, then all things, all things, good and bad, all human experience must be allowed by him. And this is what is going to be wrestled with over and over and over again by Job and, frankly, I believe by us as we continue to read through this story. Finally, at the end of chapter 2, Job has three friends who come to visit him. And we're going to get to know them 
really well, but at this point, they've just heard about the suffering of their friend. And they're considerate men, I believe, at, at least at this point of the story. So they come to their friend Job, and it says that for seven days, they just sat with him and didn't say a word. They didn't say a word because they saw his suffering was so great. If only they continued to not say words. <laughs> because as the story unfolds, uh, over the next 25 chapters, we watch his friends try to give him advice. And so next week, we're going to talk more about what happens when they start trying to give Job advice. So we're, we're going to cover a big chunk of the book next week, chapters 3 through 28, which is just kind of the same cycle over and over of Job's friends and Job conversing, chapters 3 through 28. But for now, for now, they're just with him and they're silent. And just a little side note here. Just a little side note of advice for you. When your loved ones are facing suffering uh, and, and difficult issues, I know as God's people, oftentimes we, we want to find the right thing to say to our loved ones who are facing difficult situations. And oftentimes we just want to say something. We feel like we need to say something. But those of you who have been on the receiving end when you're in a difficult state, don't you just sometimes wish that your loved ones wouldn't say anything and that they just be with you? Just be with you? This is my advice to you in many ways to just be present with people. And so at this point, that's how we're going to envision we're wrapping up today. Job has three friends who love him, who've heard about his suffering, and they just sit with him for seven days. For now, for today, again, it, maybe it feels like things are unresolved it's good because we're going to keep going, but I need to resolve this in some sort of way. And, and here's what I'm just going to say to you again is this, that God operates at a higher level than us. God is God, we are not. We have a very limited understanding of who he is and how he operates. But my prayer for you is that we will watch Job remain faithful to God in all of his suffering. Because when he stays faithful to God and he goes before God in honesty and prayer, he gets to know really who God is. And so this is my encouragement to you. That you bring all things to God in prayer. Because when you really get to know who your God is, you will see that all things he has in store for you are good in the grand scheme of things. And we will see that in the light of Jesus Christ, that God knows, God knows our suffering. Because this is the purpose for which he came into the world. God knows our suffering. Jesus came into this world to take our sin and to take on our suffering. Jesus came into this world and in order to bear our sin and be our Savior. And yet, in some sort of mysterious way, God allows all things to happen, but not passively, very actively. God actively allows things to happen, and yet he's also actively involved in protecting you and preserving you and guaranteeing to you eternal life through Jesus. So I'll just say it again like this. God is God. God is good. And until Christ returns, evil will exist in this world. Yet Christ is victorious over it all. I want you to learn about this God. I want you to get to know him. I want you to bring all of your things, good or bad, to him in prayer. Because when you do, you will learn that in any and all situations, you can be content in Jesus Christ, your Lord.
Let me just put this one last slide up on the screen as a word of reminder. This is not the end. This is not the end. There's a lot that's going to get unpacked and the story is going to go on. So uh, if for some reason you can't be here over the next six weeks, all of these sermons are archived online. I invite you to take a look at those things. You can listen, you can watch, uh, and, and uh, the story will continue to unfold as we get to know Job and as we get to wrestle through this uh, human reality of suffering. For now, go in God's peace. God is with you always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.